Welcome to Salt and Light with Pastor Rodney Finch. Salt and Light is a radio outreach ministry of Calvary Chapel, Cary. Jesus, speak to me. Open your word and reveal your heart to me. Salt and Light is a series of verse-by-verse studies through the Bible, focusing on its practical application to our everyday lives. Salt and Light is recorded live at Calvary Chapel, Cary, in Apex, North Carolina. Stay tuned. At the end of the program, we will give you information on how to contact us, so be sure to have a pen and paper ready. Today, Pastor Rodney will be teaching from the book of 1 Samuel, chapter 14. So grab your Bibles and follow along. Now with today's teaching, here's Pastor Rodney. We're busy with our buildings and our buses and our budgets and no power and no faith. And we're busy teaching seminars about how to build a big church. How about if we just stand up and be the church? I'm going to wait while somebody clap their hands and say amen. How about if we just stand up and be the church? We're busy reading books about church leadership. How about reading the Bible? We're busy being busy, and yet we're powerless because we're not in the Word. God is always looking for a few good, faithful men who will stay true to his word. God is looking for that one man. He only needs one. He doesn't need many. Remember, he can see by by many or, verse 6, by few. God needs just one man, one woman, one young person who will stand up and trust him. God is looking for one person who will hold hold out the word of God and not be ashamed. Look at verse 3. So Jonathan decides to go check out the Philistines, but the people did not know that Jonathan had gone. I think that's very telling. I think it tells us a lot about Jonathan. Jonathan doesn't blow the trumpet and make a big deal of himself. Jonathan obviously doesn't need a attaboy pat on the back. Jonathan was just one of those guys who serve the Lord quietly and nobody knows and they are content to know that they please the Lord. We all know people like that, don't we? And we all love people like that. They just serve the Lord behind the scenes. They don't want anybody to know what they do. They are content to have the Lord pat them on the back and say, well done. The people didn't know that Jonathan was gone. Verse four, so Jonathan looks at his armor bearer and he says, well, it looks like it's just you and me. Let's go to Michmash and see what God might do. Notice they head out and they go between the passes. There was a sharp rock. I want you to look at verse four. There was a sharp rock on one side and a sharp rock on the other side. And one was named Bozes, which means shining or glistening. Maybe the sun hit that rock one morning or something. It just hit the rock a certain way. Not really sure why they named it that. The other is Sina, which means high or lofty crag. Also means thorny. So we know something else about Jonathan. He wasn't lazy. He was willing to travel through rocky, craggy territory to get to this area of Michmash. This area was a very strategic area. Even, watch this, you'll find it fascinating, even later in history. Have you heard of the Battle of Thermopylae? You heard of the Battle of Thermopylae? Well, Thermopylae means hot gates, hot gates. It was 480 BC and the Grecians outnumbered the Persians. The same tactics that Jonathan and his armor bearer used, the Grecians used to hold back the Persians, bringing them into this same narrow area and defeating them. Have you heard of a man by the name of General Edmund Allenby? 
Uh, some say that Edmund Allenby, General Allenby, was a Bible-believing Christian. And the story goes, listen, close, during World War I, the general was reading the Bible one night by candlelight after he received orders to capture a village called Michmash. That name sounds familiar from the Bible. So he opened the Bible and he read about Jonathan, his armor bearer, who went over to the Philistines' garrison alone one night through a pass that had a sharp rock on one side, on either side. And he continued to read the story and he thought to himself, this pass, those rocky headlands and that flat piece of ground are probably still there. He woke the brigadier general and they read the story together. They decided to send some scouts out to find the pass. They found it. And it was obviously the same location, those same Bozes and Sina. And high up in Micmash moonlight shined a small flat piece of ground. And then their plans to attack changed. And instead of sending a whole brigade, one company alone was sent along the pass at the dead of night. The few Turks that were silently dealt with and the hill was climbed just before dawn. The Turks awoke and thought there was, they were surrounded by the armies of Allenby, and they fled in disorder. Every Turk in Mikmesh was killed and captured that night. So after thousands of years, the tactics of Jonathan were repeated with success by British forces. This was recorded in... Now, wait while you clap your hands. That is interesting, isn't it? That's all right. And that was recorded in Romance of the Last Crusade. Someone once said this, and I love this, the Bible will richly repay study, but only if the conditions are observed which common sense dictates. It has no power of working like a charm, so that a chapter read in a couple of minutes by a preoccupied mind can do any good. The mind must rest on it and give itself time to perceive impressions. It requires the whole force of our thinking, and the whole of our feeling. I love that. Well, notice in verses 6 through 14, 13, 14, as we just read it, but look at verse 6 again. Jonathan said to his armor bearer, come, let us go over to the garrison of the uncircumcised. It may be, I want you to underline this in your Bible, it may be the Lord will work for us, but nothing restrains the Lord from saving by many or by few. Note, Jonathan's attitude Let's go up to the garrisons of these uncircumcised. In other words, Jonathan is saying, these Philistines are outside of the covenant. Who do they think they are? I don't care how many of them there are. They're uncircumcised. Jonathan is angry because they have no right to challenge God's people. They're outside of the covenant. Note the statement, the Lord can save by many or by what, saints? Few. This is probably one of the most remarkable statements in all the Bible. Two men are going to attack an army that looks like the sand of the sea. And Jonathan says, that's nothing for the Lord. He can save with a huge army or he can save with a few good men. It just depends on the heart of the men. God is looking for heart. He does not need numbers. I'm going to say that again. God is looking for heart. He does not need numbers. I'm waiting until you clap your hands. And some commentators, they say, well, Jonathan's being presumptuous here. Listen, I don't think Jonathan's being presumptuous at all. As a matter of fact, I think Jonathan is standing on the word of God. Got a pen? Write this down. Leviticus 26, 8. Jonathan is probably thinking, five of you shall chase a hundred, 
and a hundred of you shall put 10,000 to flight. Your enemies shall fall by the sword before you. Jonathan could have been thinking about that. Or he could have been thinking about Deuteronomy 28, 7. The Lord will cause your enemies who rise against you to, de- to be defeated before your face. They shall come against, out against you one way and flee before you seven ways. Jonathan knew these verses and probably thought about these verses. And maybe, just maybe, Romans chapter 8, verse 37. Yet in all these things we are, anybody know? More than conquerors through him who loved us. Jonathan knew Isaiah 54, 17. No weapon formed against you shall what? Prosper. It doesn't say no weapon formed against you will be formed against you. It says no weapon formed will prosper. God has different ways of not allowing a weapon to prosper. Your enemy can have a weapon raised and ready to use it against you, and God can take it out of his hand. I need everybody to say amen. Amen. And it won't prosper. God can also allow the weapon to stay in the enemy's hand and allow the enemy to use the weapon against you, and then God uses that for his glory and your good. And now the weapon, I'm waiting, I'm waiting. And now the weapon that the enemy meant for evil, God used it for good. So it still didn't prosper. No weapon formed against you shall prosper. Jonathan, hey, Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6. But without faith, it is impossible to what? Please him. For he who comes to God must first believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Jonathan, I think, I believe, is moving in faith, remembering what God has done. He's probably thinking about Shamgar in Judges chapter 3, verse 31. Shamgar took an ox goat and used it to wipe out 600 Philistines. Maybe he's thinking about Gideon defeating the Midianites with a candle and a jar. Remember, God parted the Jordan. Remember, God parted the Red Sea. God made the walls of Jericho come down with people screaming. And God doesn't want us to be nutty or presumptuous, but God is looking for men who have faith, faith to stand on the promises of God and not allow your faith to stand on the promises of God and not allow your circumstances, your finances or Philistines to move you and move your faith. I believe Jonathan is the kind of man that would love the heroes of the past. If Jonathan were alive today, I think he would love Whitfield. He would love Spurgeon. He would love Paul the Apostle, Peter, James, and John, Peter, Paul, and Mary. He would love all of them. I'm just seeing if y'all are awake. Because these were people of faith. Faith pleases God. Amen. And there's no need to put out a fleece before the Lord. Notice Jonathan doesn't put out a fleece. Listen, let me clear something up for you, okay? I hear too often... Christians say, you know what, we're, gonna, we're thinking about this and, you know, we're going to buy a house. We're thinking about buying a house and we're going to put out a fleece before the Lord and see if this is of the Lord. Can I tell you something? Putting a fleece out before the Lord is a sign of the fact that you don't believe. The fact, it is a, is a, is a point of unbelief. It's not a point of faith. Gideon put out a feast before the Lord because he didn't trust the Lord. 
So Christians are running around saying, oh, I'm going to put a fleece out before the Lord. We're going to put a fleece out before the Lord. Well, what? You don't trust God? You don't trust his word. Because if you trust his word, you would need to put out a fleece. You would just believe the promises of God and move on what God has already said God will do. You don't have to put a fleece out before the Lord. God is faithful. Acting on God's promises is not presumption. That's faith. Listen to me. Acting on God's promises is not presumption. That's faith. Jonathan was acting according to the promises of God. He's thinking if God will do it for them, then he can do it for us. So Jonathan said, let's go over to the camp of the Philistines. God doesn't need many. He can save by many or he can save by few. Look at verse 7. The armor bearer said, do all that's in your heart to do. I love this. God was going to use Jonathan, but he wasn't going to use Jonathan alone. This no-named armor bearer said, Jonathan, I'm with you. Do what's in your heart to do. Jonathan had faith and the armor bearer had faith. And this is how God works when he calls a man to a work. God usually calls someone alongside that individual to support him and to help him. Ecclesiastes chapter 4, verse 9 and 10. I have it for you on the screens. Two are better than one. Come on, y'all too quiet for me. Read it for me. Come on. Two are better than one. The armor bearer is not there. Listen to me. The armor bearer does not exist to carry the pastor's Bible and put it in the pulpit. And some of y'all are like, I do not know what he is talking about. Well, listen, let me help y'all understand. In the black church, y'all know I keep it 100. Am I, do I? Go ahead and say preach, pastor. Because you know I'm going to say it. In the black church, generally. And if you're a visitor here, listen, we don't, we're not all hooked up, tied up and crazy about who's black and who's white. We don't care what color you are. That's why I can clearly say black people or white people because some of y'all white and some of y'all black. (laughs) Can we just get over that? Is it okay? Come on, clap your hands if it's okay. (laughs) Okay. Now, in the black church... Generally, the armor bearer, am I right about it? The armor bearer is to carry the pastor's Bible. This is one of his many duties, is to carry the pastor's Bible and and walk behind the pastor and, you know, run to the pulpit before the pastor gets there and place the Bible there and make sure everything is in place and then run away as the pastor comes floating up in his nice long robe. Oh, I'm going to. I'm on my way. You pray for me. As the pastor comes in the robe and, you know, gets to the pulpit and, you know, the armor bearer, that's largely what he does is do what the pastor needs and carries the pastor's Bible. Listen, I don't know where they got that from. I I, I do get it uh, supporting the pastor. I do get it. Um, you know, helping in ministry. I praise God for the men that God has surrounded me with that assist me. I couldn't do what I do without these men, but I do not. 
Yeah, you're thanking God for them. But I do not understand this idea of carrying your Bible. I can carry my own Bible. I'm shocked. I'm like, why can't you carry your own Bible? What's the problem? Your hands broke? Carry your own Bible. You can get your own water. Amen. Not unless you up here and I get parched and I'm saying, hey, you know, but Ron, grab me some water. Junior, go get me some water. That's because I can't stop preaching and go get it myself. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> I don't get this. So this armor bearer supporting Jonathan, loves Jonathan, has faith like Jonathan. Jonathan says, we're going to go over and attack. And he says, do all that's in your heart to do. I got your back. And I'm sure that was a real comfort and encouragement to Jonathan. Because when you're trying to get something done, and maybe somebody knows what I'm talking about. When you're trying to get something done for the kingdom of God, the last thing you need is a spiritual Eeyore. (laughs) Behind you, bumming you out. You're like, well, we're going to go over there. We're going to take the kingdom. And we're going to do something great for God. And you hear this spiritual Eeyore that comes behind you. Well, you know, I don't know. We, maybe we better do that. We might get cut up in pieces. We might be cut up in pieces. It's like, man, encourage me. Help me. You know, don't pull me down. Encourage me and cheer me on. Listen, I don't need your help pulling me down. Satan does a good job of that all by himself. I'm, I'm working against that. Satan's always seeking to pull you down. And no, we're not talking about yes men. We're talking about godly men. Lots of times people want to be a Jonathan, but sometimes in order to be a Jonathan, you've got to first be an armor bearer. You can't be an armor bearer, and, and you can't be a Jonathan until you're an armor bearer. Joshua is known as the man who led Israel into the promised land, but he started out as Moses' servant. Sometimes you got to start as an armor bearer to be ready to be a Jonathan. Notice in verse 8, Jonathan's plan. The armor bearer says, okay, Jonathan, do what's in your heart to do. Jonathan doesn't go through the paralysis of analysis. I'm going to let you think about that for a minute. He doesn't go through the paralysis of analysis. You know, some people, are, well, let's think about it. Well, you know, well, I don't know. Well, let's pray. Well, you know, uh, well, you know, a month goes by. Well, you know, I don't, uh, 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 well, you know, uh, well. You can just analyze yourself right out of a blessing. He doesn't go through the paralysis of an, y'all need to write that down if you don't get it and then go chew on it. The paralysis of analysis, Jonathan comes up with a plan and he says, let's move out. And the armor bearer is thinking, what's the plan? What's the plan? We're going to sneak up in the shadows, maintain radio silence, attack with a stealth strike. Jonathan says, no, we're going to let them see us. (laughs) What you talking about, Willis? (laughs) We're going to let them see us. Now, listen, I haven't been to war college. We've been talking about war college. I haven't been to war college. For those of you who don't know, there is a war college. You get a master's degree in military strategy. I didn't know that until like two weeks ago. I find it fascinating. I haven't been to war college. Um, I haven't been trained in military strategy. I wasn't even a Boy Scout. Um, 
I don't know anything. But I wouldn't think, Jonathan, that this is the best plan of attack. They are outmanned, outnumbered, and out-equipped. You don't just come out and show yourself to your enemy. Jonathan's plan defies military strategy. Jonathan is going to seize a divine opportunity. Look at verse 9. Jonathan said, well, show, we'll show ourselves to them. And if they say, wait, in verse 9, we'll come to you. We will know the Lord has not given us victory. We better stand still. But in verse 10, if they say, come up here to us. Are y'all getting this? If they say, come up here to us, then we will know God is giving victory to us. This will be a sign. Now, you can see right here, this is a presumption. This is wisdom. This is caution to know if God is moving or not. So often we don't trust God when we should, and we say God said when we shouldn't. Jonathan's military strategy is taking a little step toward knowing whether God is in this or not. Verse 12, the Philistines said, come up to us. And we'll show you something, a thing or two. And Jonathan said, Jonathan said, that's what I need to hear. The Lord has given us the victory. Look at verse 13. And Jonathan climbed up on his hands and knees with his armor bearer after him. And they fell before Jonathan. And as he came after him, his armor bearer killed them. That first slaughter, which Jonathan and his armor bearer made was about 20 men with about a half of acre of land. And there was trembling in the camp, in the field. Among all the people, the garrison and the raiders also trembled in the earthquake. So there was very, very great trembling. Now the watchmen of Saul and Gibeah and Benjamin looked, and there was a multitude melting away. And they went here and there. And then Saul said to the people who were with him, now call roll call and see who has gone from us. And when they had called roll call, surprisingly, Jonathan and his armor bearer were not there. And Saul said to Ahijah, bring the ark of God here. For at that time, the ark of God was with the children of Israel. Now it happened while Saul talked to the priest that the noise which was in the camp of the Philistines continued to increase. So Saul said to the priest, withdraw your hand. And then Saul and all the people who were with him assembled, and they went to the battle. And indeed, every man's sword was against his neighbor, and there was a great confusion. Moreover, the Hebrews who were with the Philistines before that time, who went up with them into the camp from the surrounding country, they also joined the Israelites who were with Saul and Jonathan. Likewise, all the men of Israel who had hidden in the mountains of Ephraim, when they heard that the Philistines fled. They also followed hard after them in the battle. And so in verse 23, underline it, the Lord saved Israel, not Jonathan, not Saul. Who saved Israel? The Lord saved Israel that day. And the battle shifted to Bethaven. I told you Bethaven means house of vanity. So the Philistines, said, come up to us and we'll show you. Jonathan, that was his cue. The Lord's given us victory. Jonathan climbs on his hands and knees. You know, I, I don't know why I read this. Every time I read this, I think of Braveheart. This has like a real Mel Gibson 
Braveheart kind of thing. You know, Jonathan's climbing on his hands and knees and the armor bearers behind him. Jonathan took his sword that was in his hand and he's walking through and he's like swiping, he's like wiping people out like this here. And then the armor bearer comes right behind him and he just, you know, Saul knocks him down and cuts no arm. They lay down and the armor bearer comes by. She! And, you know, it's like, it's like Braveheart, man. They probably got their story right out of here. It's not new under the sun. It's right here. Verse 14 tells us the first slaughter was 20 men. Details. God is in the details. The first slaughter was 20 men and a half acre. Jonathan's walking and whacking them and stabbing them. The armor bearer is behind him, finishing them off. And as they're killing the men, there was a trembling in the camp and the field among the people, the garrison, the raiders, the earth is quaking. Verse 16, the watchmen of Saul and Gibeah looked over the wall and they see men dropping like flies and melting away. You have been listening to Salt and Light, a radio outreach ministry of Pastor Rodney Finch in Calvary Chapel, Cary, located in Apex, North Carolina. Join Pastor Rodney Monday through Friday at this same time. For information regarding service times, you can contact us at 1-800-293-0923. That's 1-800-293-0923. You may listen to today's broadcast in its entirety by visiting the Media Library on our website at cccarry.org. We would like to thank you for tuning in to Salt and Light and pray that you have been blessed. Until next time, may you be salt and light.